Well, hey, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And a little preview of what is to come. A woman in our audience has been talking to someone that she met online uh, for a while now, and he's a Christian, but he wasn't taught that sex before marriage was a sin. And so he has had sex in relationships. Well, now this has come up between them. And so uh, one of our counselors, Jeremy Keaton, is going to hopefully give some helpful advice there. And then uh, for our culture segment, we have our friend Diane Ingolia uh, here with her husband, Roger, to discuss things that they have learned in their marriage, including their own story, how they dated, uh, what that looked like, and now uh, the lessons that they've learned in marriage and how they are sharing those with other folks. And so uh, we are now here for our roundtable. And uh, funnily enough, Diane is with us for our roundtable today. Thank you. Um, a continuation of last week's conversation on Ephesians 5 and submission in marriage. And so I want to welcome George Stanky back. Hey, George. It's a pleasure. He is a counselor. He's a pastor. He's so many things. He's also married and has great experience and advice there. Um, we mentioned that Diane, too, is married for, what did you say now, 44? 44, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so there's a lot there. Um, and then I want to welcome Mark as well to our roundtable conversation. And so um, he's a 20-something single guy. And so we need all perspectives here to kind of talk through the before, the after, the during, what does this look like? And so I want to welcome all of y'all. Okay, well, we the conversation last week, we kind of touched on a lot of things around, you know, just the general, what is Ephesians 5 even talking about? Um, and one thing I did want to share uh, coming into this week is this idea of, because we were talking about what the passage is not saying is that there is some kind of hierarchy of value between male and female. All uh, individuals made in the image of God are equal in value, worth, dignity, um, what we all have to look forward to in eternity. It's all on the table for all of us. And in fact, uh, there is no marriage in heaven. And so the whole fact that Oh, we won't even have to talk about Ephesians 5. There's one less topic of conversation, so <laughs> such as it is. Um, but I, you know, I think it's helpful to say, too, you know, if we think of it in this way, because so many women are very fearful around the practical application of submission. And, well, what if I don't marry a good guy? Or what if something crops up and I just do not feel like I can go with his decision on this or whatever? And so um, in thinking that through, I was like, well, sometimes it's helpful to realize that, you know, we often discount, I think, the Holy Spirit's role in this. And if you marry a Christian who loves Jesus, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit will be working in that person. And it is, you know, scripture promises that God disciplines his sons. And that is, you know, sons and daughters that applies to all of us. And so uh, this idea, you know, if you think that, you know, your husband is, you know, whatever, if he's going to be the captain in this relationship, and there's a role and there's responsibilities there, Remember that he has a general over him, and that general is God himself. And God does not just sit there letting people get away with stuff, okay? So I feel like it's very comforting to know that God is on our side. God um, loves marriage. He's created marriage. He's a fan of marriage, and he wants marriages to be great. And so let's go in um, with that confidence. Um, that said... There are a lot of like weirdo practical things that come into play <laughs> when it comes to like, okay, so on Wednesday evening, what is this going to look like as we're married? And Diane, I wanted to welcome you to the conversation because I think, you know, we, we have talked a little bit and we did last week about, 
you know, men and like, oh, well, are men going to get all crazy and like dictatorial and stuff? But I think women can get kind of crazy too. And so you are, let's call, I'm going to use my air quotes, a strong personality. And I'm assuming that at some point in your marriage, you've tried to play the personality card of like, because your husband is just such a little sweet you know, wonderful man. And you have no idea that <laughs> boy has he been saying, fooling you. From what, <laughs> he just seems so sweet and so awesome and whatever. So, but don't you think that a lot of women try to play the card of like, well, I'm just not a submissive personality yes. and they try to make it a personality. Like I'm an right. independent woman and I'm blah, blah, blah. What do you see as problematic about that? And how has that played out in your own relationship? I think people like to use uh, personality as an excuse for almost everything they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an outgoing person and that, you know, so they go, well, of course you're nice to people because you're outgoing. Mm-hmm. And I am more, and you're like, I, <laughs> I don't care what your personality is. <laughs> no, I'm going to use this for you mm-hmm. because I know you're Italian. Yes. And I know that Italians say, well, of course I'm like yelling at people because I'm Italian. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so it's okay for Italians to just be angry and, like, yelling at people. No. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, I first of all, I'd like to define what submission means. And this is what we say, that it is intelligent, humble compliance to an ordained person of responsibility. So it takes intelligence. And that's the first thing people used to say. Well, you, you know, how could you submit yourself to your husband? Aren't you a smart woman? Aren't you a strong woman? Well, because I am, I can intelligently, humbly submit myself. And submission is something that I do to myself. Subjection is something that somebody does to you. Excellent. So there's no way Roger is going to subject me. And there's no way I'm going to subject him either. If I truly love him, then it will be submission that we follow. Hmm. That's good. Okay, so what, I mean, both of you have done, you know, George, you're a counselor, Diane, you and Roger have done tons of premarital counseling. What are some of the common misconceptions about submission that you hear from people? Like what, whether those are born out of fears, whether they're just born out of erroneous interpretations of scripture or whatever, and what, you know, I'm assuming you have to kind of throw a flag and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. let's talk about this. But Mm -hmm. what are you hearing out there primarily? I think mostly because of the way the women's movement has gone, um, you automatically think it's a weak woman who becomes a doormat. And what we're saying is you are equally as important in this relationship. You're a complement that fit one another. So I need your peace. You need my peace. And together, because we both are humbly submitting intelligently to the other person, uh, we can make a hole in that. And then for the men, if they come in going, well, I'm the master of my house. We had a, a couple that lived next door that had this huge argument, and you could hear them yelling at each other in the front lawn. So we're like opening the window, like, what in the world? And it was an argument over the color of the house. And she wanted it white. He wanted it brown, of all colors. And he finally said, I am the master, and I am the owner of the castle. It's going to be brown. And the next day the painters came, that house was painted brown. And in two weeks, that woman moved out. Oh, wow. And you just think, oh, my gosh, we wanted to interrupt that conversation and say, people, what is happening here? Mm -hmm. And I think we want to encourage people before they go into marriage to start defining 
their roles and their responsibilities. And it's like, I never did the lawn, and I have no intention of doing the lawn. And um, Roger goes, I'm going to do the lawn. So there's no argument over how come you didn't do the lawn. Now, when it comes to laundry, we both decided we will both do the laundry. And so we've made these, you know agreements beforehand we both do the dishes we both vacuum he does the windows I don't do the windows Mm -hmm. and he's okay with that and it's like decide beforehand and then what areas are you willing to say I'm going to intelligently humbly submit yeah well and obviously about the house example at that point it was no longer about the color of a house I mean at that point it's about I'm going to stake my claim and make my you know this is my wants my needs my Mm -hmm. feelings and I'm going to just assert them George how about you what are some of the things you hear my wife and I also have an agreement I will carry the laundry down and carry it up (laughs) I cannot put anything in or take anything out because (laughs) You do it wrong, right? right. Exactly. Uh, that's, kind of, exactly. that's kind of weird. Okay, go ahead. But yeah. I, I appreciate what you've shared. It's um, So many of the couples that I've talked to over the years, you can't confuse submission with codependency. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, as, as you said so well, these are two incredibly intelligent people. They both have gifts that will be complementary if recognized, when Lynn and I were first married, I mean, just to be transparent, um, I was angry so much of the time because she was so right so much of the time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be cute. I mean, it was she was just so right so much of the time, it made me feel insecure, mm-hmm. and it took me a couple of years to finally recognize. Wait a second, she's not a threat; mm-hmm. she's an asset. Mm-hmm. And I had to change the way I viewed her in order to actually appreciate her and recognize that she wasn't trying to put me down. She wasn't trying to be controlling or aggressive. She had a voice that needed to be heard, and I needed to learn how to hear it Mm -hmm. without feeling less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like that's true because I um, I actually have a plaque in my office that says, I'm not bossy. I just have better ideas. (laughs) And I feel like, would it be helpful for me to bring that into marriage just as a little, hey, FYI? I don't know. I mean, I thought it might be good. Well, you know, I have found that finding out what the family of origin is, because one of the things in Roger's house is that there were five kids, and he was the one that was always picked on. It was amazing. Uh, I think it's because he was talented, so and he was towards the end of the line. Um, and so he always thought that any opposition meant that it was, I am pushing back on him. Mm -hmm. So I had to start the conversation with, I am on your side. Mm -hmm. I am for you. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm going to share this. So I had to frame it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it sounded like an attack because Mm -hmm. that's what he was used to getting. And once I recognized Mm -hmm. that, then Mm -hmm. I could go into a discussion and say, I'm on your side. And I totally disagree with what you just said. So let's let's hash this out. Yeah. Okay. So Mark, I'm assuming that you, as a single dude, your first when you're going to ask a girl out on a date, the first question you're going to say is, "Let's just talk about submission." Oh, so absolutely. That, because that's going to be a winner um, to really, you know, kind of get her um, on the same page as you. No. What is it? I mean, what do you when you think about this, like for your future? 
what do you think are like the the sticking points as far as the parts of the conversation? Because you may feel like you're very settled in it. Obviously, you know, we know what scripture says and we can ask, you know, we're hearing now interpretations of that. But but where do you think when it gets practical, what are some of the sticking points? Yeah. And one of the first things I always try to think of, and this is something I think a lot of young Christians trip up on for the best of intentions is when I'm in a dating relationship, I'm not married yet. Mm-hmm. And we, for good reason, try to act like good Christian married couples. And, and, and in a lot of ways, we do that well in respecting each other and moving together towards Christ. But also, she's not my wife yet. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. not duty bound to submit to me as the as the church submits to Christ yet. Mm-hmm. So getting that out of the way, looking forward to when I am, uh, God willing, at some point married, I... I'm glad you brought up the story of the brown and the white house, because for me, as I, with the parents that I grew up with, if there was ever a point where the man felt it necessary to pull rank, as it were, to just say, I've been given this responsibility, I'm the head, you better get in line. To me, that's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. That if that's necessary, mm-hmm. then the, the communication's not happening. Mm-hmm. Then clearly the husband has dug his heels in to a point where he is just not listening anymore. Or maybe the wife's dug her heels into the point where she's not listening anymore. Either way, someone is not acting as one flesh. Someone is, there's a difference between I, I see conflict and I just cannot stand a White House. I'll have to power wash that darn thing every single day and I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you don't listen to me and if you don't respect me, I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a, a good enough husband if my wife doesn't do what I tell her to do. Mm-hmm. And like like you said, it wasn't at that point, that story wasn't about white and brown house. Mm-hmm. It was about the husband feeling secure in himself. That's right by dominating his wife, which is just not the way it's designed. Like you look at what the whole purpose of marriage Mm -hmm. is. It's supposed to be a metaphor for Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. Christ does not dominate the church. Christ does not order the church around. Christ gives himself up and dies for the church. And in the same way, uh, husbands are meant to give themselves up and live and die Mm -hmm. for their wives. And in return, the church... Uh, follows Christ and is in love with Christ and devotes itself to Christ. Now, the great problem is husbands, we're not Christ. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect. The directions that we move, unlike the directions that Christ moves to the church, they're not perfect. So for me, the practical sticking points come as I'm supposed to act as Christ. Mm-hmm. And when I inevitably fail, my wife is going to be let down, mm-hmm. which comes down to the most important point for me is that authority equates to responsibility. That's right. And that if you have any level of authority over somebody, as I do believe that when it comes down to it, the husband is responsible Mm -hmm. for the wife, which equates to authority, but that does equate to Mm -hmm. responsibility Mm -hmm. and accountability. Mm -hmm. accountability. And if my wife is is failing and is struggling and is falling and I'm not there for her, that's on me, which, Mm -hmm. and this will be the last comment, I'm a little bit rambling, but um, (laughs) my favorite uh, illustration of, of the failure of man comes the very first sin when Eve mm-hmm. is deceived and uh, she takes a bite of the fruit. And it, I feel like a lot of the, the the Bible study or the Sunday school illustrations show Eve alone, but that's not what it was like. Mm-hmm. She gave some to her husband who was standing right there doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. He stood right, right there and he let it happen. Yeah. And that to me is the ultimate failure of man of just allowing a wife to suffer and, 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 and fail and choosing to do nothing. And that's the responsibility I feel like I need to look forward to and prepare to shoulder. Yeah. yeah. It seems to me that there's a lot of, you know, so much of this is shining a, a spotlight on the fact that 
many problems come as a result of doing too many relational things in isolation. So, for example, if men in the church were availing themselves of the counsel of other men Mm -hmm. and had their marriages and their Mm -hmm. business and their own personal lives you know, being in, in fellowship and in accountability with other men, then it's like the, the best way this can play out is other godly men calling men out on this, not their mm-hmm. wives being mm-hmm. like, you're crazy and I'm not listening to you and we're not painting this house brown. <laughs> you know, and likewise, women, you mm-hmm. know, would to to feel like uh, they can learn from other women of like, this is a way to, you know, uh, to grow in maturity in this. This is a way to position this statement or this opinion in a way that is much, you know, you know, very understanding of how, you know, maybe their husband's mm-hmm. mind might work or how it's worked for them and stuff. I just feel like there's so much personal growth to be had here Absolutely. in this kind of situation. So um, so what would you say, again, like looking at the way that this works out, practically speaking, what let's talk through just a couple scenarios of how this could work out. You know, George or Diane, talk through situations mm-hmm. that you came up against, because we, we talked about there are different levels. I mean, some things are just straight up skills based. Like you said, Diane, you know, let's be honest. I mean, you're kind of short. You can't do windows. So you're, <laughs> you probably don't want to be on ladders, whatever. So there are some things that you're just like, cool, you got this, whatever. And those are like easier decisions to make. Mm-hmm. But when they involve maybe like specific values or preferences of things that are like, mm-hmm. this is more of a, you know, I really feel strongly about this. Or maybe, you know, we talked last time about a timing issue, about a job change, mm-hmm. or should we move? Should we, you know, stuff like that. How have you guys had those conversations in ways that have worked? Mark, I appreciate what you said. You're going to be a great husband. <laughs> I appreciate that phrase. It does mean a lot. When, uh, when two people come together, we have to understand that you have two broken people. Two people c- coming together that are broken doesn't make one whole person. And this whole idea, I mean, the word submission literally means to come under. But I love what you said, Mark, because the greater responsibility does fall to the man. I am to love her as Christ sacrificially, not to be domineering, Mm -hmm. but to be gently leading. Mm -hmm. And that is a skill set that takes time to learn. I have never met a man anywhere who is prepared for marriage, prepared to lead in a biblical way. I've yet to meet that man, except for maybe today. <laughs> no, no, not even. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I don't know that I've ever met a woman that is quite, that really understands how do I come under, how do I come in a way that honors my husband? Because we live in a society where there's been so much abuse of power. There's mm-hmm. been so much pain. There's been just tragedy. And as we said last week, I think the key issue is, am I safe? Am I safe as a leader? Mm-hmm. Is it safe for me to come under this person? And how, do I, how do I know if it's safe? Mm-hmm. You know, look at the way he treats his mother. Look at the way he treats his sister. Look at, go out to eat. How does he respond to the wait staff? Mm-hmm. Because he won't respond to you any better than he responds to others. And so being observant, watching, learning, 
talking. Again, last week we had our single sister here made some excellent, excellent comments about learning in the dating process and how it prepares me to make an intelligent decision in regard to marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's an ongoing process. Linda and I have been married 45 years, as I mentioned before. I'm still learning Mm -hmm. how to be a good leader. Mm -hmm. I still am. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I get stuck on stupid. You know, if you're, we have found if people are teachable, mm-hmm. um, I that was one of the things I looked for in some of the guys. Well, all the guys, and then along comes Raj, who I see um, accepts if something I I don't agree with him, and he can talk back with um, saying, "Okay, here's why. This is why this happened." And then say, oh, I never thought of it in that way before. And it's seeing that there was this teachable spirit, Mm -hmm. but he was looking for the same thing in me. Am I willing to accept both sides of a positive and something that sounds a little harsh? And how am I going to take that? Am I going to say, well, what do you know? Or I'm going to say, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, I never step back to look at that. Mm -hmm. And for me as a woman, I pray for my husband because I know he stands in the place of Christ. And to me, he's got the harder position than I do. And I can always go around him by praying straight to Christ if he's messing up, Mm -hmm. but he's standing in that position. And that makes me really want to honor and love him even more. And you have to say, what makes a leader? You have to have followers. Otherwise, you're not a leader. And if the guy turns around and there's nobody following... Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not a leader. <laughs> well, and remembering too that again, you know, we said this before, but both individuals need to be following Christ Himself. Right. And Absolutely. if both are following Christ, you're headed in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And then it's not; it shouldn't yeah. be that you know you're going to have your conflicts, yeah. but it shouldn't be the the complete uh, push pull mm-hmm. of of ego mm-hmm. and of you know where it where it really uh, breaks, breaks into the yeah mm-hmm. exactly so. Well, there is so much we could say here, but we are out of time. Um, You guys, thank you so much for this conversation. I think we really landed on a lot of good stuff and just bringing this up. And uh, those of you who are listening, maybe you have more questions. Um, Do find us. Obviously, we'll have this posted on on social. We'd love for you to weigh in and give your thoughts and just some of the uh, maybe angst or questions you've had around it. Hopefully, uh, we've been able to speak um, practically as well as biblically around uh, this issue and uh, more to come maybe in the future. So thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
Okay, folks, well, we are heading into our culture segment, and this is a two-parter. We've been doing a lot of two-parters lately. I don't know if I'm becoming more verbose or if I'm just (laughs) finding guests that we just need to get more information from, but a two-parter this week and next week. So if you are listening in right now, make sure that you make a note of that because you're going to want to get the second half of this next week, which is actually going to be a and a from some of our on-site folks who are either single, dating, engaged, maybe newly married, and just have questions, um, because here's what we're talking about. I have got uh, in the studio today, Roger and Diane Angolia. They have both been on the show before, but I don't even know, have we talked to you guys together before? Have we even allowed this? I never, I I know, I think it's dangerous, (laughs) but. We finally got all the appropriate background checks to make this happen, so this is I know it takes a long time for Diane to get those checks done. It does. Well, you both are longtime employees here at Focus on the Family. But when you're not working at Focus, you are very involved in mentoring pre-married couples, married couples, just folks in your life, sharing the wisdom that you have from your own experience as well as from scripture. And um, it's been kind of fun to hear, you know, over the years, pieces of your own story. And so I think I want to kind of start off with that today because it is equally shocking and hilarious how you guys managed to get married oh my goodness 44 years now is that what we're Mm -hmm. saying that's the consensus okay consensus 44 years uh that is most of our audience was not born at that time but um that's good because that means you have a lot of experience under your belt and this is going to be this is going to be awesome so i want you to briefly maybe uh each of you tell a portion you can tag team a portion of your own story of getting to marriage because i know there were different timelines for each of you yes and we do need to clarify that you're both Italian, yes. but different, sourced out of different Italian regions, which yes. apparently <laughs> provides conflict. I don't know. It does. I mean, I just, okay, that's fabulous. <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit of your a little bit of your story. Well, I had a philosophy: men, you can't live with them, but you can't eat free without them. Okay, that is horrifying. But go. <laughs> and it was true for my life. And okay. don't steal that topic because one of these days I'm going to write a book. Okay. But that truly was my philosophy mm-hmm. all through college. And so I had a, a lot to do and places to go and people to meet and free food mm-hmm. to get. So um, <laughs> I was very busy dating. And that was during, I don't know if this is still true, but a ring by spring mm-hmm. was uh, always a pretty big deal. And I had no desire to have a ring by spring on my finger. So um, I dated a lot of guys. And in that time, I was actually proposed to seven times. And people are like, wow, you were lucky. No, I was not, because it made me very cynical. And when somebody said, I love you, I just would laugh in their face because give them six months and they're married to someone else. Mm -hmm. So that whole thing was like, really, you just want someone to marry by the time you graduate. And it's not going to be me. So, Diane, you really kind of just sounded like a big jerk. So Uh why were these guys Uh dating you and Uh proposing? Because I was really fun. And they wanted to bring me home to meet their parents because I'm the kind of Christian girl that their parents would love and you'd make a great wife. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably true, but not for you. And so I am really holding out for someone who would love me unconditionally because I did not get that at home. 
and I did not get that from these guys who had a plan. Okay. And their plan was to trap and marry me. Okay. So, Roger, clearly you wanted a piece of this story. <laughs> so you <laughs> yeah. threw your hat in the I ring. Did. How did that play out? <laughs> he did. Well, I met her at a, at a Bible study, and we're in this big rectangular room. <clears throat> and to my shame, this, this actually took place. And I was seated at one end, and she was seated at another where I really couldn't see her. And there was a gentleman teaching, and this boisterous woman kept asking question after question after question. And I actually became irritated by that. So I actually leaned over forward and said, who is that mouthy? And then I went, oh, my gosh, she is hot, which is <laughs> which is a little bit different when you think about how these guys wanted to marry her because she was fun and all that. She was absolutely gorgeous with hair down to here and the big blue eyes and the whole shot. So I, I make eye contact. I find out what her last name is. I find out that she's Italian. So that's a big plus. She's beautiful. She's Italian. And the questions she was asking were, were quite intelligent oh, questions. Oh, gee, thanks. Yes. <laughs> but but in, in reality, I went home that night. My mom asked the question, so how was Bible study? And I said, well, I just met the girl I'm going to marry. I slid down the, the wall, sat on the floor, and told her about this beauty that I had met and that was that. I was done. There was no more looking. But it took uh, many, many years for her to finally see things my way, where essentially she dated me two years. I dated her five. So I'm <laughs> okay. convinced she wasted the best three that I had. But in reality, yeah, I was I was it. Five years for me. But in the interim, she was dating other guys for those first three. Okay. So we had to... We have to do the math on that. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. that's good, but you got there. But okay, but how could you make that decision so early on? Because you didn't know, I mean, specifically, you didn't know like her character. You didn't know, was this just kind of like, I'm going to soldier through or I'm going to trust God in this. She's out of Bible study, so whatever. Because most young adults today would be terrified to say something like that and yeah. quote unquote commit in that sense. Yeah, actually, you know, I really don't know how it is I arrived at that conclusion. Um, I really wasn't dating uh, in fact, I've dated very little, not like this one. I, I dated very, very little. <laughs> Oops. Um, uh, and because I was actually interested in how I was going to develop a career, I knew where I wanted to go. Um, so I really didn't have time for that. Mm -hmm. But there was something about when I, when I met Diane um, in terms of if I could say what I saw in the outer and with a little bit that I heard about of the inner and then just in the process of a little bit of time, it was... It was quite extraordinary that I was satisfied with what I saw up front to say that one is worth waiting for. And and that was that for me. But he was dating me. Mm -hmm. So he would call and say, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? And I would go, no. uh, <laughs> can we have a rain check on that? Uh, how yeah. about two weeks from Friday? And he would go, okay. And I just thought, what? So I remember we were taking a walk one day around the block. And I said, you know, I don't love you like you love me. And he said, I know. And I said, I know, but you're making me feel guilty because I don't love you in the same way. And he goes, well, that's your problem. That's it. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he said, just let me love you. And that was something I had never experienced. I'd always heard of unconditional love, but I was like, really? And then there were times when I was such a jerk to him 
but he still loved me back. And I kind of did it on purpose because I thought this can't be, this is not a real person. I'm going to test this. Mm -hmm. And the poor guy kept coming back for more. Mm -hmm. And I think he knew that I was like testing the waters. Mm -hmm. What is this really, can someone really love someone unconditionally? And I needed to know that after all these proposals. Well, and that's interesting because it's almost like you were really exposing something apart, totally apart from Roger in you, whether Mm -hmm. from your upbringing or ways you'd experienced love and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, that you really had a wall up around you in doing that. And so Roger had his work cut out for him. He did, and he hung in. You know, I had my work cut out for me, but I was willing to wait. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wasn't in this mindset like some of the other guys that she dated that said, I love you. I want to marry you. It was, you know, I, I knew what I was looking for. She seemed at that point, And the more I got to know her, that she fit, uh, what it is that I was looking for in a, a possible wife someday and, mm-hmm. and mother for my kids and all that kind of stuff. But for me to love was simply my choice mm-hmm. and whether it was reciprocal or not, mm-hmm. wasn't really the issue because I was making the choice to say, this is the one I'm willing to wait for. And if God wants to close that door, then I trust that he will. And if he doesn't, mm-hmm. then I'll stay the course, even though my family thought I was crazy too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They love me now. Um, one thing was he never said the words, I love you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, how did I know that he loved me unconditionally? And it was because it was not the words, it was the actions. Mm-hmm. And that's what in my mind even clicked in myself. How did I know? That's what love looks like, mm-hmm. something that's unconditional in spite of me and all of my baggage and warts that I brought along with yeah. my family upbringing. That was shocking to yeah. me. So today we're talking about preparing like preparing yourself to be in a relationship, to date well, to eventually move towards marriage and have a fighting chance at doing marriage well with God's help. And so... You know, it'd be easy for us to say, oh, well, goodness, you know, thank thank goodness you got past that hurdle because then you sailed into marriage and it was all amazing from then on. But <laughs> I think you guys have said before that it wasn't all mm. too easy mm-hmm. and there were a lot of rocky starts. Mm-hmm. And I know, Roger, you even talked about being called out by a friend and mentor, mm-hmm. Jack. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about kind of some of the bumps that you hit and what, what shocked you, what was unexpected as far as the realities of marriage. Well, I think I remember the day, uh, this was just one of those incidences where I had a, a mentor who loved me enough to say the tough stuff. And uh, here we would been we had been married, we're teaching Bible study, we've got kids, uh, we're, we're mentoring couples, we're, we're doing all the stuff, all the Christian stuff. And I'm, I'm working in the grocery industry uh, six, sometimes seven days a week. She's a stay-at-home mom. By That's the design we wanted for our family. And my mentor said, let's have breakfast. And it was one of those things like, hey, this isn't our scheduled time for this. And so I wanted to know what was up. And what he said to me was, that was really life-changing, He said, I see earmarks of deterioration in your relationship to Diane, and I'm concerned. And I looked at him and I said, I'm dumbfounded. How how can that be? What is it that you see? And what he saw was the fact that I was working to do all the stuff to provide for my family and all that, building a career uh, in, in the industry I was in. 
And he saw me going one direction and he saw Diane pouring her life into our children and PTA and, and mops and all that stuff. So our, our train track, the, the tracks began to split. And the fact that he identified that, not with a lot of particulars, uh, with some, but not not so much of saying, it's this, it's this, it's this. What he did is he made us aware that we were going two different directions and not even knowing it because we were doing all the Christian thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were, like I said, teaching Bible studies and mentoring and doing marriage, pre-marriage counseling and marriage mentoring and saying, how could this happen to us? Mm-hmm. And what had happened is we just lost sight of of the fact that Hey, this is a team. It's you and I, and and we got to keep things on course. So that that caused us to make some some changes uh, that brought the train track back to parallel, and uh, it's pretty much stayed there. It's it's not that we haven't had some bumps along mm-hmm. the, the way. <clears throat> yeah, a few bumps. Uh, I think <laughs> what what really helped too, Lisa, is the fact that we allowed people to speak into our lives. Yes. So even before we were married, and something that I didn't know about that came out like three or four years later is that Jack had met with Roger and said, "I've met Diane's mother." And my mom has been clinically diagnosed, she's now gone, so I can say this, um, as a narcissist and a psychopath. My mom had no feelings. So if you got hurt, it was just like, too bad, just fix yourself. You have 105 fever, don't bother me, shut the door, and we'll just leave you alone. So knowing what I came from and the amount of guilt that was placed on me, he met with Raj to say, these are some of the areas that Diane's going to struggle in due to the fact of her family and the way that she has been raised. Mm. And what he didn't know is that, you know, Pat had shared with me, here are some of the things, that's his wife, some of the things that that Roger is going to struggle in. Now, our two Italian families, you know, Italian mothers have two ways of approaching. There's the yeller, screamer, thrower, Roger's mom. mom. Mm. And then there's the guilter, how could you do this to me, mother, that was mine. So these are two opposite ends of Italian mothers trying to create one household. So the first time he raised his voice, I, my mother never raised her voice. She just said, you will retreat to your room until you can behave. But what did I do? If you can't figure it out, I'm not going to tell you. So you go to your room. I'm a horrible child. And his mom would just yell and throw something, and then it was over. So, you know, he'd raised his voice the first time, and I'm like, why are you yelling at me? And he's like, I'm not yelling. I was just communicating. That's how we communicated (laughs) in our family. Everything was loud. You're just putting it out there, you know, and dealing with it right now. And it was was blunt, and it was to the point. And I never had experienced that. And so even in our dating relationship, it was kind of shocking. I wasn't even sure how to handle it. Yeah. And so learning those. Yeah. There was an aspect of our relationship where Diane noted that I was probably, if not the first, one of the first people to actually tell her no, mm-hmm. because people didn't tell her no. And you didn't tell even her. Even your mother, it, my mother. Yeah, your mom. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, and me too. And well, me too. That's okay, right. all right. That That's is a right, true yeah. statement. Yes, because I pretty much ran the relationships of the guys that I chose. Yeah. yeah. And really, I should not have married this one. Yeah. Because well, the other ones were all. That gig was us. It was. It was. They were. They were. You know, and it was like I would test the waters, and they would give in. Yeah. Even though I knew, 
you know, they really wanted to do this, and I talked them into it. Yeah. And then here comes Raj, and he says no. Well, here, okay, so, I mean, let's think of the average couple that maybe is heading towards marriage, Mm -hmm. because none of them think, you know what, we're going to go at it for a good year, and then it's probably going to crash and burn and be a big disaster, and we'll have to recognize all this stuff about ourselves and do counseling. Mm -hmm. Everyone is very hopeful going into marriage (laughs) that they're going to be different. They're not going to encounter all the obstacles. It's so amazing. It's whatever. They're relatively Mm -hmm. healthy, you know, we overestimate. So what would you say if, if thinking back, because you have now counseled so many mm-hmm. young couples before marriage and after marriage, and again, so many like go in, you know, they know they have to do the premarital to, to book the church. Mm-hmm. So they're going to check off the box of their six sessions and whatever, mm-hmm. and, you know, varying levels of whether it's good or counseling or not. But what would you say, talk to for both men and women, blind spots specifically that you've seen or things that you know are just like must deal with like the things that crop up over and over again that aren't you know necessarily in the workbook or you know the things that you know are like you don't even go into marriage without dealing with this area of concern or just raise it and make sure you're squared away on it you know what's interesting um lisa is a lot of times people are or young couples there's a facade because there's not that blunt, honest communication. And that's hard because what if they don't like me after I say this, but we're getting married, so they have to. Mm-hmm. And we have seen, like one of the questions we asked a young couple is, if if he gets cancer and is really sick, will you still be there to nurture? And she said, oh, no, uh, no, I would leave. And so the question was, well, why would you do that? Well, I, I wouldn't want to s- see him suffer. It would just be too hard on me. His answer back to that was, isn't that amazing how loving she is towards me? She wouldn't be able to handle me suffering. So then we said to him, if she got cancer, what would you do? Oh, I would be there to love her and to take care of her. And we're like, run, run, young man, <laughs> run. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's this these blind spots that are we really willing to have people speak honestly into our lives to call those things out? And we've actually asked couples to wait on getting married. And some have said no, and others went ahead, and neither one of those worked out well. It's interesting. I always ask the question, and usually of the men first, uh, in a pre-marriage situation where you said, you know, they get like their six hours. Well, when we do pre-marriage counseling, it's generally between 30 and 40. Hmm. So the time to have transparency and exposure and actually learn who these people are and what they've talked about and what they know and what they don't know, what they've experienced, what they haven't experienced, it really gives us the opportunity to begin to deal with those issues before they get to the altar and say, I do. You know, so we always ask a question like this. Why do you want to marry this person? So I'll ask the man, why do you want to marry her? And and it's actually the answer most commonly not given in all of our experience in 39 years of doing this is because I love her and I can't see me living life without it. We've heard things like, are you kidding? Look at her. You know what she looks like in a bikini? Or, hey, we love to ski. We have the same interests. We like to hike. We've heard all those things. And what happens is people get, uh, in, in in essence, in love with love, it's a it's a feeling that you're going to feel when you feel. When in reality, that's not what it is at all. It's a commitment, and and it goes beyond just a commitment level. It becomes, from a Christian perspective, becomes a covenant. And so people need to enter into this endeavor 
quite seriously. So defining terms, you talked about communication, defining terms like what does it really mean to love? What's really your understanding of, of submission? What does it mean leadership? What does it mean divorce? And so we hit those things hard, especially uh, probably one of the most uh, important aspects of our counseling deals around defining what when the scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, we're talking agape love. Defining that properly. Once you do that, now you have a foundation to build from. Once you understand what submission is uh, and define it properly, then it's not this, hey, I'm going to be dominated. That's not it at all. Um, and so we go through the process of making sure that people understand what God is saying in his word and fill up what we call their toolbox, their marriage toolbox, with as many tools as we could possibly give them. Because, as you so stated, sooner or later, life is going to hit you in the face. Mm-hmm. But if you've got the proper tools to work with, then you can actually work your way through those issues and have a successful marriage. Uh, We had lots of tools in our toolbox. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a lot of couples will say when they hit kind of those bumps in the road, they go to the excuse of, well, I wouldn't be this way if so-and-so wasn't this way. Or they're going to try to do some kind of exchange or transaction Mm -hmm. of guilt or of, you know, culpability Mm -hmm. for the problems in the marriage. How do you, what do you say in counseling to kind of head that off at the pass? (laughs) You know, we, we have a saying, and it's a lack of communication leads to a lack of respect, which which leads to a lack of commitment. And that's true of our relationship with the, the Lord as well. When we stop praying and getting into his word, then there is that lack of respect. And then from there, there's a lack of commitment. So it's like, are you really willing to say the hard thing? Mm-hmm. And for me, it took a long time. I padded and I walked on eggshells because of that fear of rejection. And, you know, now I can be more honest. Hey, that hurt my feelings. Actually, we call them shrimp fork moments. A shrimp fork has little tiny tongs on it. And there are times I just want to stab him in the arm. And it's, I mean, not really. I mean, not literally, but yes. And, you know, it doesn't go in too deep, does it, honey? No, it doesn't hurt too much. No, too bad. Yeah. But it's that letting him know this is a shrimp fork moment. I am really angry right now. And it's like I'm allowed to have that freedom to say, and this is why, Mm -hmm. this is how it, and he'll say, well, that's not what I meant. I know, but that's how it made me feel. And then you're like, why? Oh, because those are the same words my mom used. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I'm not your mom. Mm -hmm. I know, but it still made me feel that same way. You know, and scripture says, know well the condition of your flock. Just think of that in terms of being a husband, for example. I have to know well the condition of my wife. Where's she? Where's she coming from? What makes her tick? What What are her you know her shortcomings? What is the baggage she's brought with her? Um, and then you have you, you you throw children into the mix, and you got to know well the condition of that little flock as well. The more you know, of course, it comes back down to communication and spending time. Uh, and it's not not a the the quantity issue; it's the quality issue. But you got to have quantity to get quality. And so the more I could know, the easier it was in the sense to take the responsibility that God's given me as a husband and as a father and as a leader in our, in our family and a spiritual leader. And there's like nine titles that, as we look at Scripture, uh, that applies to men in terms of our roles and responsibilities. And when I, when I would get home from work, the first thing I would do is say, 
So how was your day? I wanted to know what went on because I've been gone for for 8, 10, 12 hours. And then she would let me know what happened, and then I could manage to that. So if you don't have the communication, uh, and that's why we ask so many questions, even at the beginning of pre-marriage counseling, we want to know what it is that, that you've actually talked about. Mm-hmm. Because if, if people aren't communicating, how in the world can you then know each other? Then really, who are you marrying? Yeah. And we've actually had uh, couples where... His view was he was marrying, once we figured it out, he was actually marrying who he thought was like his mom, and she was marrying who she thought was like her dad. And neither one of them were each other. And it was a bad mix. (laughs) Well, we're going to have to continue this conversation next week because we actually have questions um, from folks who are in our audience that we are going to address. But it's funny, just as we wrap here, there are two things that I'm really taking away from this. And one is, and Roger, you alluded to this from the very beginning, uh, even in your pursuit of Diane, is if all of your eggs are not in God's basket... Mm You're gonna. You're in the wrong basket. And so, I mean, he is ultimately the one that we have to trust because he is sure he will never disappoint us. He will never. Everything else, it's open season. And you can marry an amazing Christian person. Mm -hmm. They're still gonna shrimp fork you. They're still gonna maybe (laughs) spear you at some point. You know, it might get worse. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But um, but we know that God always uh, loves us and guides us and has our best interests at heart. And then just the other thing is, it was reminding me of. I just heard this from my pastor the other day. He said that in premarital, he'll often ask the question of each person, what's one thing you would change about the other person? Mm-hmm. And he makes them answer that in front of the other person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all are awkward, but sometimes, you know, they'll usually come up with something. And then he says to that person, now, what are you going to do with the fact that that will most likely never, never change? change. Exactly. And it's just really a mm-hmm. fascinating, very good question to mm-hmm. think about because, again, it's it gets to motive mm-hmm. of why are you getting married? Why are you putting stock in this person? And so, all right, are you two willing to come back next week to start fielding some more questions? Absolutely. You betcha. All right. The first day that I took a breath, I woke up already blessed. Been with me ever since. opening up our inbox for the last segment of the show and we have counselor jeremy keaton here hey jeremy good to be with you again all right awesome well hey thanks so much for being willing to answer this week's question and let me just jump in Uh, our listener says i've been talking to someone that i met online he's in a different city so we haven't met yet he's a practicing christian as am i however he has been sexually intimate in his past relationships and said he was not taught that sex outside of marriage is a sin He's open to exploring the subject further and has done some reading and listened to podcasts. He respects my plan to wait, but I find his past decisions unsettling. How do I navigate this, being considerate of him, but also processing my own fear of being compared to other relationships? Wow. Okay. 
the um, the practicing Christian, um, along with not um, being taught that premarital sex or sex outside of marriage is uh, not God's plan, is something to really be curious about and to pump the brakes on and really understand better. We can say things like we are Christians, but what does that mean for an individual? What's the so it's it's not just the issue of sex before marriage. It's really what all it connects to. What's the authority of Scripture? What do you? Uh, what does Christianity mean for him? And certainly there can be different beliefs in doctrines and in variations. But the Christian sexual ethic, um, although it's highly questioned, right in today's culture, mm-hmm. historically has been one that is. Uh, pretty historically consistent, even among denominations. And so I would be curious really more about what does this signal that we really may not have our fundamental understanding of the faith in the same way, The how, what's the level of scriptural competency and or the belief about the words of God, because scripture is very clear, it's not an equivocal issue. Uh, from a doctrinal standpoint. So it really is a time to pause and say, what does this indicate, not just on this issue, but really the fundamentals of the faith? If you're wanting to uh, date someone that really shares your values where you can potentially be equally yoked. Now, turning the corner just a little bit here and talking about if you are able to clear that up or you're with somebody who has previous sexual experience, the whole question of will I be compared to others, um, there can be a great deal of um, healing, recovery, conversations through premarital therapy to talk through the implications of that. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's uh, certainly redeemable space. And you need to remember, or at least know, and it's something I didn't really fully understand until I'm now, you know, 23 years married. I didn't understand this in in my premarital and early years is just how much our sexuality is really based in relationship and not the bodies, right? Mm -hmm. The physicality, um, relationship and intimacy really is the foundation on which all the physical things happen. And so um, that is redeemable space, but Um, I would say back to this person and this individual, there are some fundamental things that really you need to stop and think, what what am I doing here? What does this indicate? And does this really match what I'm wanting to pursue? Because the symptom, if you will, of saying, you know, I'll, I'll respect your decision, but I'm not sure about it for myself and my faith is pretty fundamental faith issue when it comes down to how you interpret and know the scriptures. Yeah, good points. And yeah, I think my my concern in reading this was more so just relationally the fact that he's almost looking to her to lead on this issue right. and to direct almost what his where this should be a decision as a quote unquote practicing Christian self-described he needs to settle with the Lord and say, yeah, this is absolutely my conviction and I want to lead in this area rather than deferring to you. Yeah, it's not an area that if you have sort of a undecided mm-hmm. space in it that it's typically going to go well as you grow in, in dating and in, in friendship. You have to make those decisions with conviction ahead of time. Yeah.
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Okay, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. And you know, I've said it before here that there are many ways that you can stay connected with us at Boundless. Uh, Go to boundless.org. You will see all of our social set up there. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, We're newly on Reels on Instagram, which is super fun. And uh, you can also subscribe there to our weekly e-newsletter. And that will keep you in the know of all the content that we have coming out in any given week and any other fun things that we know about and want to tell you about. So go to boundless.org, sign up for social. You'll see everything we have there. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.